Imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons, wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery. You're listening to True Crime Feed. Welcome to True Crime Feed. I'm your host, Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcasts from the past decade with a teensy bit of humor, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. Up first on the docket, here's a show from the archives I think you will really enjoy. Let's discuss the case for Twin Flames from Wondery. Here's a synopsis from the show page. We all want love, that happily ever-ending feeling of finding your soulmate. What if someone not only claimed they could help you find that perfect partner, they guaranteed it? Jeff and Shalia, a young couple famous on YouTube, teach about twin flames, a deep romantic connection with your perfect partner in their videos. It's divine love. You're designed for no one else, and they're designed for no one else. But the path to finding your twin flame isn't so simple. Some followers claim they were encouraged to cut ties with friends and family that are holding them back and to claim their twin flame by any means necessary. And to take your listening experience to the next level, go to thetruecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. Key players this week are Jeff and Shalia Ion, former follower Keely Griffin, and series narrator Stephanie Beatriz, who you may recognize from her acting roles. She's played Detective Rosa in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and my favorite, the hilarious Carla in the film adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, starring Anthony Ramos. Speaking of twin flames, ow, ow! Anyway. This series comes from Wondery, which can be super hit or miss. Twin Flames is definitely a hit for me. It's not the most highbrow, in-depth investigation you will ever hear, but it's a quick thrill, an easy listen. It's six episodes plus a bonus epilogue. You can easily binge this one in a day. Stephanie Beatrice is fantastic on the show. She has a great voice for podcasting, and you get glimpses of her personal life and how she relates to the subject. I do have two minor critiques. 
Number one is the abrupt ending. Twin Flames extinguishes itself a little too quick in my opinion. So I'll give you some additional updates not covered by the series. My critique number two is the theme music. It's actually awesome, but it does not fit the vibe of this show at all. It's very suburban housewives with knives. It doesn't fit this new age, woo-woo, creepy aesthetic of this case. Instead, the theme music for the show should have gotten that Enya treatment. You know, sounds kind of chill and romantic at first, and then later goes on to haunt your dreams. Also, side note, did you guys know Enya lives alone with her cats in Ireland in a huge castle from the 18th century? Her twin flame is record sales. Alright, so what's this twin flame talk even all about? I'm sure this is already common knowledge to many of you youths out there who are always tuning into the YouTubes, but I had zero knowledge about the concept of Twin Flames or the fact that there are tens of thousands of people out there on a quest to find something deeper than just your run-of-the-mill soulmate. A Twin Flame is an intense soul connection with someone thought to be the person's other half based on the idea that sometimes one soul gets split into two bodies. So like if Guy Fieri met Girl Fieri and their souls join together to form a harmonious union, and Flavortown becomes super tasty nation in the eternal celestial kingdom. This notion of twin flames has actually been around for a while, like since ancient Greece. Although I'm not sure I want to be following any love advice from Greek mythology. A lot of unresolved daddy issues going on there. The concept isn't unique to Jeff and Shalia, but they took it to a whole other level. Like when Guy Fieri tops his burger with bacon mac and cheese. <clears throat> Jeff Ion, the man who created the Twin Flame universe and later goes on to refer to himself as the second coming of the Messiah, was not actually born in a manger on a hay bale but he did come from humble beginnings. His childhood friend, Eric Rogers, describes Jeff as a fellow nerd. They both enjoyed building gaming computers and they were on the quiz bowl team together. Eric said back in middle school, Jeff preferred staying home tuning into Berkshire Hathaway financial reports instead of trying to go out and get a date. He was so slow to make romantic connections, in fact, that in 2008, when attending Michigan State, Jeff finally cashed in his V-card and his friends threw him a party with custom t-shirts, props, and everything. It never ceases to amaze me how much creativity an organization college guys can muster up when it comes to a themed party. So Jeff finishes school with a business degree, but surprised his buddy Eric when he told him he had no plans for his next step. He left Michigan, selling off all of his possessions, and moves to California. Jeff gets a job at first in ad sales, but hated the corporate office culture. He became a vagabond for a while, hopping over to Hawaii, where he lived off bananas and ran a vegetarian Airbnb. Then Jeff crossed paths with Shalia. Shalia was a native of Canada, but relocated to Sedona, Arizona where she was studying numerology, divination, and crystals. Jeff met Shalia through a mutual friend via Facebook, and Shalia introduced him to the idea of twin flames. They met in person, fell in love, and ran out of money. So in 2015, Jeff and Shalia moved to Michigan to move back in with Jeff's parents. 
Childhood friend Eric reconnects with Jeff at a party. Jeff is now sporting a man bun and speaking in platitudes and making very intense, deep eye contact. Kind of weird. And then Eric introduces himself to Shalia. She tells Eric she's an artist. And when he asks what kind of art she makes, Shalia wasn't sure. Well, all right then. Eric and his friends were very skeptical of how long Jeff's folks would tolerate him living with them. Jeff's dad was a first-generation American with traditional conservative Catholic views. He was hardworking and believed in financial responsibility. Let's just say Jeff had some opposing views. They only lasted about two weeks at home before Jeff and his dad had a major blow-up and they had to relocate. So Jeff asked his buddy Eric if he and Shalia could crash with him for a little while. Sure, Eric said. After all, Jeff was one of his oldest friends. He was happy to put him up, help him get on his feet. Eric even hooked Jeff up with a landscaping gig. That lasted a day. Eric returned home from work to see Jeff napping, and Eric asked, uh, shouldn't you be at work? And Jeff said something like, oh, yeah, you know, I was really enjoyed digging my fingers into the earth and helping create for Divine Mother, but to be honest, I wasn't really vibing with the other co-workers, so I called it Quitsky. Jeff had other creative ideas for revenue streams anyway. He and Shalia started doing online palm readings and relationship counseling. After all, they were the perfect role models, the living embodiment of twin flames, two parts of the same soul living in perfect divine harmony. They had beaten the odds and found their way to each other via Facebook. And now they could share their love and hashtag relationship goals with the world on YouTube videos. They launched their first site, AwakenIntimacy.net, then a book on Amazon called Twin Flames, Finding Your Ultimate Lover. They also led a group on Facebook, helping others to connect to their spiritual truth and ultimately find their twin flame. Things didn't take off right away. Jeff and Shalia were still broke and crashing at Eric's and eating hot dogs for every meal. Literally, you guys, they ate hot dogs for every meal. Jeff refused to go out and get a, quote, real job. He didn't want to compromise his alternative lifestyle. Eric was starting to feel a little miffed. Eric had worked really hard for the things he had. For a guy in his 20s, he had a successful career and a nice home. And Jeff and Shalia were wearing out their welcome. One day, Eric saw a new YouTube video that Jeff posted, and it was clearly filmed in Eric's office on Eric's computer. Jeff was lecturing his viewers on how to manifest success, whether it's with your health, career, or relationships. After all, he gestures around the fancy office, look at what I've been able to build and achieve for myself on my own terms, not following some lame traditional career path. Divine Mother has blessed me with all of this. He gestures around at the beautiful home filled with nice things. Yeah, that's right. Jeff passed off Eric's house as his own to his audience. The final straw came when Eric was out of town on a business trip and his phone started blowing up. Eric's friends were sharing links to Jeff's newest business venture, demanding to know if Eric was aware of this. Aware of what? Eric clicks on the link to see a video of Jeff preaching about his healing services. You see, according to Jeff... All physical ailments in the body are actually caused by mental trauma. And guess what, you guys? 
Jeff can use his sacred powers to heal you for a nominal fee. $50 for a headache and 15 grand to cure your cancer. Yeah, that was the last straw for Eric. He offered Jeff and Shalia money to leave. They parted on some weird terms and Eric never spoke to Jeff again and continues to be grossed out by hot dogs. Jeff and Shalia's business finally takes off. They amass some very passionate devotees who are willing to do anything to find their twin flame, no matter the cost, including Angie Moggy. Angie is 41 at the time. She was a First Nation descent, living in Ontario, Canada, and working a government job. She's mostly happy with her life, but finding love has always been hard for her. She's never been married and only had a handful of really bad relationships. Then one day, a handsome man walks into Angie's work. A 22-year-old intern will call Ron. Not his real name. Angie becomes infatuated. It feels like something has taken over her brain. Rationally, she knows it's crazy. He's almost 20 years younger than her and an intern at that. But Angie can't help herself. Ron is all she can think about. She finds ways to spend time with him. Smoke breaks, long lunches. They become friends. And she's having trouble reading the signs, feeling like she's getting some mixed signals from him. Ron is hot and cold with her, sometimes showing her attention and being flirty. Other times, he's distant and aloof. Angie struggles for months trying to navigate her connection with Ron. And then she gets diagnosed with cancer. She has a hysterectomy and undergoes chemo. And eventually, Angie is cancer-free. And even while she's enduring this whole process, Angie couldn't stop thinking about Ron. While she was at home recovering, she discovers Jeff and Shalia on YouTube and learned all about Twin Flames. That's it. Now it all made sense. Ron was her twin flame. At this point, Jeff and Shalia had rapidly grown their twin flame universe. Their YouTube videos were garnering tens of thousands, even up to 150,000 views. They were now offering private coaching and relationship classes in their Twin Flame Ascension School that ranged from $2,000 to $4,000 a year. Plus, they had a Facebook group with over 14,000 members. Angie signed up for classes, finally getting the answers she was looking for. All of her friends and family had told her to move on from Ron. But here, in the Twin Flame group, she was affirmed that yes, Ron was actually her soulmate. And not being with him would lead to an eternity of suffering. Angie needed to do whatever it took to get her man. She was instructed by Jeff and Shalia to change within and start embracing her divine femininity. Angie had always been kind of a tomboy, but now she started dressing more girlish and sexy, wearing big flowy wigs. She worked hard to attract Ron, and it looked like all of her hard work was about to pay off. They plan to see each other outside of work. Ron invites her to come hang at his cabin. Perfect. Angie goes all out, spending hours getting ready, selecting the perfect outfit, hair, and makeup. Plus, she puts together a delicious-sounding spread of food. She bakes him a cake and makes homemade fried chicken, mac and cheese, and fresh-cut pineapple. 
At this point, I'm thinking maybe Angie's actually my twin flame. When she shows up to meet Ron, he looks like a complete slob. He looks wicked tired, rocking dirty, tattered clothing and greasy hair. And he's pumped that Angie brought over some snacks. He houses down her homemade goodies, practically scarfing down the entire cake himself. Angie's a little bummed, but they drink some wine and get cozy together. Then Angie makes her move. She kisses Ron. Magic. This is it. Everything she dreamed of. All of her hard work. It was finally paying off. Then Ron pulls away and says, sorry, I'm not into this. He told Angie it felt like he was kissing his sister. Angie is devastated. She relays her embarrassing story back to the Twin Flame group. Jeff suggests that Angie just wasn't trying hard enough. Ugh, Jeff needs to get slapped with a hot dog. The group tells Angie to keep trying, so she does. Angie continues reaching out to Ron. He ignores her messages. A month goes by. Then Ron tells Angie to stop contacting him. He's not interested. Then Angie finds out the devastating news that Ron has started a relationship with someone else. Jeff and Shalia make the oh-so-helpful suggestion that Angie needs to make a big romantic gesture. You see, the night that Angie and Ron hung out together at the cabin, he had left his drill in her car. So Jeff is adamant. Angie needed to go to his house and return that drill back to him. Go claim your man once and for all. Angie drives over to his house, drill in hand, and knocks on Ron's door. His little brother answers. Ron isn't home. It's kind of awkward. So she drops up the drill and leaves. Angie reports back to the Twin Flames group. Jeff chides her for blowing her chance, scolding her for wussing out. Then we meet someone from the Twin Flame universe who didn't wuss out. The group attracted followers who covered the whole wide spectrum. Some were socially awkward and inexperienced at love, Others had completely dysfunctional experiences and lacked the understanding of what it meant to be in a healthy, loving relationship. The community encouraged bad behavior. You must refuse to take no for an answer. Stalking, berating, and harassing your desired twin flame, that was all fair game. Getting rejected or even blocked was a badge of honor. It was just a sign you triggered your twin flame. They secretly want you, but they don't know what to do with all those strong, scary feelings of loving you. There were a lot of followers who were devastated because their twin flame was married and wouldn't leave their spouse for them. Lots of wild, salacious scenarios. But perhaps the most shocking is the story of Katie, not her real name. Katie is a free spirit. She meets a guy named William at Burning Man after he eats sushi off of her body at a party. Oh, Burning Man sounds like my nightmare. Katie and William hook up and hang out all weekend. They go back home to their respected cities, but casually keep in touch long distance. Then Katie happens to move to San Francisco where William lives, and the two start dating. But things don't work out. Katie was a homebody and wanted a serious relationship, and William wanted to spend his evenings going out and partying. So William ends things, but Katie refused to let go. She insisted that William was her twin flame. She sends a barrage of texts that get increasingly more delusional. 
William couldn't just break up with her. They were twin flames destined to be together in a cosmic eternal relationship. He blocks her phone number, so she gets a new one and continues contacting him. Then she follows him to a party and refuses to leave him alone. No matter what he says or does, Katie wouldn't stop. These incidents of unhingement continue to get worse. Katie, quote, bumps into William's roommate at a park. She asks if she could come inside and use his bathroom. It was an emergency. Once Katie was inside the apartment, she refused to leave. William arrived to find Katie there. So he leaves, calls the police, and gets a temporary restraining order against her. Months go by, things seem to quiet down, then William takes a trip to Berlin to visit with friends. While there, he gets a call from a German phone number on his WhatsApp. You guys, it's Katie. She just happens to be in Berlin as well, hanging out with some mutual friends. William contacts those friends, and they say they haven't seen Katie at all, made no plans, and didn't even speak to her. It was clear Katie was there to follow him. William returns back to the States and is full-on creeped out at this point. Katie messages and suggests this nonsense would all be resolved if they could just sit down together and do some online twin flame therapy with Shalia and Jeff. William declines. Then one night, William's out at the club. While he's shaking his thing, grinding on the dance floor with a lady, Katie surprise rolls up and starts standing next to them with a menacing look. William is all like, what the hell are you doing here? And the girl he's dancing with tries to be nice and offers Katie a sip from her water bottle. Katie smacks it out of her hand. That's the final straw. At this point, it's been over a year since their breakup. William has had enough. He files for a permanent restraining order. He goes to serve Katie with the papers, and Katie hands William a laptop with a login for a therapy session with Jeff and Shalia. And later in the evening, William receives a message from Katie wearing a revealing getup, saying, The only restraining I need from you is in the bedroom. Katie relays all of this behavior to the Twin Flame group. They cheer her on every step of the way. Katie is a Twin Flame legend. Then she gets arrested for violating her restraining order. Bail was set at $150,000. She posts her bail and returns to classes. You guys, there are audio recordings of Katie's sessions with Jeff and Shalia on the podcast. It's unbelievable. You have to hear this lunacy for yourselves. It's in episode three titled Honey Badger of Love. Angie Moggy was listening in on those classes with Katie too, and she was inspired. Angie had already let her love Ron slip away. She refused to make that same mistake again. Angie decides to double down in her efforts to find a twin flame. So she gets help from a twin flame coach named Keely Griffin. Keely became a rising star in the group after she had successfully joined with her twin flame to form a harmonious union. Now she had super special spiritual abilities. Keely vowed to help others complete their divine unions as well. The success rate in the group is kind of low. It seems like a lot of this stalking, creepy behavior tactics they were preaching wasn't working. Twin Flame Universe developed a new strategy for success. Set up Twin Flame members with each other. 
They were all getting close in the group anyway, especially since many of their friends and family started rejecting them for their increasing irrational behavior. But there was a problem. Twin Flames was supposed to be the joining of Divine Feminine with the Divine Masculine. However, the ratio in the group skewed highly female. So they found a diabolical workaround. Angie received the good news from her coach, Keely. She had just gotten word from Jeff and Shalia that they found her a perfect twin flame match. Angie was thrilled. Finally, who could it be? It was Angie's best friend and fellow group member, Victoria. Angie was devastated. She wasn't attracted to Victoria like that. She wasn't even really attracted to women. Victoria also preferred dudes and was not into this arrangement either. In addition to sexual incompatibility, their lifestyles and desires didn't line up either. Victoria wanted to live in the vibrant city of New Orleans and have kids. Angie wanted to live deep in the woods in a cabin, play board games with no kids. Coach Keeley brushed it off. Angie and Victoria could overcome these deal breakers. They just needed to work at it. Angie, as you may remember when she first joined the group, had been encouraged to embrace her femininity and change her appearance to be more girly and sexy. Now she was being instructed to embrace her divine masculinity. So she cut off her hair, started dressing like a man, and even started going by the name Aja. Victoria was not having any of this. She eventually gets frustrated enough where she leaves the group, and Aja Angie is told to refuse to take no for an answer. Her behavior towards Victoria gets weird and stalkery and eventually blows up. She sacrificed so much for this misguided pursuit of love, only to lose her best friend. I felt really, really bad for Angie throughout this entire series, but I'm happy to report that she eventually left the group, found a really great therapist, and is doing well. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Before Angie left, she had risen up the ranks in Twin Flame Universe. Even though she hadn't formed her own harmonious union, she had become a certified Ascension coach and played a major role in the sales department. None of this was bringing her any actual financial success, but it was helping Jeff and Shalia make bank and grow their empire. At this point, they were living in a big mansion in Traverse City, Michigan, and cruising around in a fancy Porsche, a far cry from where they were five years ago, living off hot dogs and crashing in Buddy Eric's basement. Jeff even starts telling his believers that he is the second coming of Christ. He even grew out his hair and beard really long to look like those European depictions of Jesus and proclaimed that, you see, even though Jesus came from the Middle East and historically most likely had very dark features, all of those depictions of a pale-skinned Jesus were not inaccurate. They were actually portraits of Jeff and foretold the prophecy that he, Jeff Ion, was actually sent from heaven to rule on earth as the new Messiah, okay? Then a writer from Vanity Fair magazine reaches out to Jeff and Shalia. She wants to interview them for a featured article. Jeff is pumped. This is going to spread his word all over the world. Soon everyone would be joining his twin flame universe. The article drops. It's scathing. 
laying out all the dirty details, accusations of exploiting vulnerable, lonely people for money, encouraging harassing behavior, profiting off members' unpaid labor, inflicting mental abuse on their followers by encouraging them to take drastic measures like changing their gender for love. The Vanity Fair article pretty much paints the picture that this is a cult. Key members like Keeley quit the group. And Jeff and Shalia issue a four-page open letter in response, stating that the Vanity Fair article and all of the other negative claims were actually cyberbullying. There have been more negative articles written about them and a docuseries slated to come out soon, plus lots and lots of opinions from ex-members on Reddit. But after that initial hit, the group appears to be unscathed. At the time of this recording, September 2023, their website is still live and they still claim that they can help people find their soul connection. They even have a juicy FAQ page that helps clear up the false narratives put out by the media and gives you the real truth about the Twin Flames universe and Jeff and Shalia's amazing work. When I looked them up on Facebook, there are actually several Twin Flame-based groups with large followings. Jeff and Shalia's group currently has over 43,000 active members. So obviously many folks out there have a positive connection to the idea of Twin Flames, which kind of gives me pause, you know, maybe I'm being too judgy and need to separate my personal negative thoughts about Jeff and Shalia from the concept of Twin Flames. There are many out there who strongly believe in divine romantic spiritual love, and they're on that journey to find it. I think as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else in the process, go for it. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should go for it too and stop waiting for Anthony Ramos to make the first move and slide into his DMs. Although I'm having a really hard time choosing between him and Keith Morrison. Man, love is so confusing. One thing I can say for sure though is Jeff is not the Messiah. Because there's only one divine living being roaming the earth. And she lives in a castle in Ireland with her cats. And her name is Enya. Aw yeah, as the youth say, that was fire. I love exploring this topic and thinking about how much the concept of love has changed over the years with the birth of the internet. I mean, how would Jeff and Shalia have found their disciples or even each other without Facebook? Ugh, probably a burning man. And you know they try to do matchmaking with Burning Man, connecting him with Burning Woman to create the ultimate twin flame. The stars would align and start strobing in bright neon colors, and everyone would take off their pants and start dancing in unison to electronic music. Is that the ultimate goal here? Like I said, I'm pretty new to all this. You can tell me your thoughts on Twin Flames. Email me directly at Angela at thetruecrimefeed.com or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends. Who knows? You might even find your Twin Flame in there. Stay tuned until after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Ah, <sighs> hey you. I'm so glad we found each other and get to share our special love for true crime podcasts. I don't ever want you to miss out on a wild story. That would be a crime in itself. 
So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend so the next time you see each other, you can splurge about your latest true crime obsession. Thanks for spreading the word. And now back to the show. And we're back. Before I start the ranking, the dream is off my list this week. Not that it's a bad episode. It's just a story I've heard before. Jane Marie examines the real life of Napoleon Hill, the man who wrote the book Think and Grow Rich, which has been an inspiration to so many people in the business world. I learned about Napoleon Hill and his life of fraud on the Dollop podcast, so I wasn't getting much new intel from this episode. That's just my own personal experience. It's still worth checking out this week's episode of The Dream if you don't know the backstory. And so with that out of the way, let's get down to business. Here are the three shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. At the number three spot, we have Magnificent Jerk. Here's a synopsis from the show page. On the last day of her grandmother's life, journalist Maya Lynn Sugarman finds a box of forgotten screenplays that sets her on a journey to uncover the truth about their author, her late Uncle Galen. She discovers that he was the leader of a Chinese gang, that he went to jail, and in a final twist, that he poured his life story into a screenplay that was turned into a 90s Hollywood action movie, starring Rob Lowe, Burt Reynolds, and Ice-T. Okay, so on this latest episode, Maya discovers the transcripts from the trial that sent Galen to prison, and she also tracks down the woman who inspired the love interest in Galen's screenplay, a lounge singer with a heart of gold. Maya's investigation is reminiscent of that movie Big Fish to me, where the son discovers many of his father's tall tales were based on real people and events. Ugh, such an amazing story. So far, I'm having a magnificent time with Magnificent Jerk. At the number two spot, we have Exposed Cover-Up at Columbia University. Here's a rundown from the show page. He was a trusted OBGYN, working inside one of the most prestigious universities in the world. An Ivy League school that is home to Nobel Prize winners and medical all-stars. Yet behind closed doors, Dr. Robert Haddon assaulted hundreds, perhaps thousands, of unsuspecting patients. When it looked like no one in the world would be held accountable, their survivors engage in a decade-long fight for justice. From the team behind the hit series Dr. Death, host and medical journalist Laura Beale unfurls the story of Dr. Haddon's horrific behavior and the ensuing cover-up. It's a story of power, who has it, how they use it, and what it takes to get it back. Again, this is a Laura Beale joint, so right away you know you're in good hands. The subject matter is very painful to listen to, but the people speaking up in the story are treated with great care and respect. Robert Haddon is a monster. I'm thankful that he is being held accountable, but I'm really glad Laura is going even deeper into the Columbia University cover-up because this isn't simply one bad apple. This is a prevalent issue. If you go on right now and Google OBGYN and the word assault, you will see a dozen other cases pop up beside Robert Haddon. 
So this is a major issue that people need to be aware of. The only thing I'll say that's a little jarring about the series is that they open every show with resources on how to get help if you've experienced abuse. And then they go on to talk about all the systems that failed women. If you can get through these awful, emotionally draining moments, you will also be treated to moments of triumph. It's worth hearing the power of these women's voices that are finally being heard on exposed cover-up at Columbia University. And at the number one spot, we have Murder in Apartment 12. Here's a summary from the show page. Nona Dirksmeyer is a young beauty queen, smart and talented. Her future is bright. But just days before her 20th birthday, Nona is murdered in her apartment. Police quickly decide their primary suspect is the young man who found her, her boyfriend, Kevin. After all, his bloody palm print is at the crime scene. Case closed? Not by a long shot. In Dateline's latest original podcast series, Keith Morrison tells the story of three trials, two suspects, and one small town where things are not always what they seem. Yeah, we are in for it with this one. Honestly, I was hooked just from the coming up on teasers. I've tuned into the first two episodes and was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I can't wait to hear where this one goes. Also, primo Keith Morrison. And it looks like we're in for a wild, twisty ride before we find out the truth on Murder in Apartment 12. Keith Morrison, marry me! Now for my miss of the week. We have the murder sheet. Here's a synopsis from the show page. The Murder Sheet is a weekly true crime podcast hosted by journalists Ayn Kane and attorney Kevin Greeley. Its first season focused on restaurant-related homicides and featured a mini-series on the Burger Chef murders. If you're looking for thoughtful, in-depth coverage of lesser-known crimes, this is the true crime podcast for you. Yeah, this is actually not for me. They did a great job covering the Burger Chef murders, but that was like 200 episodes ago. Now they are all over the place, and it feels like every other episode is about the Delphi murders. Their latest episode is about the JFK assassination. I'm sorry, is that a lesser known crime? I'm frankly shocked this show is still trending. I think they should take a break from all these tangents and distractions and go back to their roots, focusing on a single lesser-known case. And the Murder Sheet podcast will be able to do that quite easily in the peaceful solitude when I send them down my podcast queue trapdoor. Find out if Murder in Apartment 12 will remain in the number one spot as the series continues or if a new show will move in and take its place. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show fell through your podcast queue trapdoor. I'll meet you back here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation, especially Instagram where I am making some amazing original memes for every episode. And if you enjoyed the show, 
please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to listen to True Crime Feed. It's a huge help to grow the show and it means the world to me. So thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feeding.